Chapter 36 How Some of the Brethren, for Disobedience to Him, Were Detained by a Storm at Sea When Cuthbert had passed two years in the Episcopal office, knowing in spirit that his last day was at hand, he divested himself of his Episcopal duties and returned to his much-loved solitude, that he might there occupy his time in extracting the thorns of the flesh and kindle up to greater brightness the flame of his former humility. At this time he was accustomed to go out frequently from his cell and converse with the brethren who came to visit him. I will here mention a miracle which he then wrought, in order that it might be more evident to all men what obedience should be rendered to his saints, even in the case of commands which they seemed to have given with carelessness or indifference. He had one day left his cell to give advice to some visitors, and when he had finished, he said to them, I must now go in again, but you, as you are inclined to depart, first take food, and when you have cooked and eaten that goose which is hanging on the wall, Go on board your vessel in God's name, and return home. He then uttered a prayer, and having blessed them, went in. But they, as he had bidden them, took some food. But having enough provisions of their own, which they had brought with them, they did not touch the goose. Now when they had refreshed themselves, they tried to go on board their vessel, but a sudden storm utterly prevented them from putting to sea. They were thus detained seven days in the island by the roughness of the waves, and yet they could not call to mind what fault they had committed. They therefore returned to have an interview with the Holy Father, and to lament to him their detention. He exhorted them to be patient, and on the seventh day came out to console their sorrow, and give them pious exhortations. When, however, he had entered the house in which they were stopping, and saw that the goose was not eaten, he reproved their disobedience with mild countenance and in gentle language. Have you not left the goose still hanging in its place? What wonder is it that the storm has prevented your departure? Put it immediately into the cauldron and boil and eat it, that the sea may become tranquil and you may return home. They immediately did as he had commanded, and it happened most wonderfully that the moment the kettle began to boil, the wind began to cease and the waves to be still. Having finished their repast, and seeing that the sea was calm, they went on board, and to their great delight, though with shame for their neglect, reached home with a fair wind. Their shame arose from their disobedience and dullness of comprehension, whereby, amid the chastening of their Maker, they were unable to perceive and to correct their error. They rejoiced, because they now saw what care God has for His faithful servant, so as to vindicate him from neglect, even by means of the elements. They rejoice, too, that the Lord should have had so much regard to themselves as to correct their offenses even by an open miracle. Now this, which I have related, I did not pick up from any chance authority, but I had it from one of those who were present, a most reverend monk and priest of the same monastery, Sinamund, who still lives, known to many in the neighborhood for his years and the purity of his life. Chapter 37 Of the temptations which he underwent in his sickness, and his orders concerning his burial. The solemn day of the nativity of our Lord was scarcely over, when the man of God, Cuthbert, returned to his dwelling on the island. A crowd of monks were standing by as he entered into the ship, and one of them, 
an old and venerable monk, strong in faith but weak in body, in consequence of a dysentery, said to him, Tell us, my lord bishop, when we may hope for your return. To this plain question he replied as plainly, When you shall bring my body back here. When he had passed about two months in the enjoyment of his rest, and had as usual subdued both his body and mind with his accustomed severity, he was suddenly seized with illness, and began to prepare for the joy of everlasting happiness through pain and temporal affliction. I will describe his death in the words of him who related it to me, namely, his attendant priest Herifrid, a most religious man, who also at that time presided over the monastery of Lindisfarne, in the capacity of abbot. He was brought to the point of death, said he, after having been weakened by three weeks of continued suffering. For he was taken ill on the fourth day of the week, and again on the fourth day of the week his pains were over, and he departed to the Lord. But when I came to him on the first morning after his illness began, for I had also arrived at the island with the brethren three days before, in my desire to obtain his blessing and advice as usual, I gave the customary signal of my coming, and he came to the window and replied to my salutation with a sigh. My Lord Bishop, said I, what is the matter with you? Has your indisposition come upon you this last night? Yes, said he, indisposition has come upon me. I thought that he was speaking of an old complaint, which vexed him almost every day, and not of a new malady, so that without making any more inquiries, I said to him, Give us your blessing, for it is time to put to sea and return home. Do so, replied he, go on board and return home in safety. But when the Lord shall have taken my spirit, bury me in this house, near my oratory, towards the south, over against the eastern side of the Holy Cross, which I have erected there. Towards the north side of that same oratory is a sepulchre under the turf, which the venerable abbot Cutta formerly gave me. You will place my body therein, wrapping it in linen, which you will find in it. I would not wear it whilst I was alive, but for the love of that highly favored woman who sent it to me, the Abbess Verca, I have preserved it to wrap my corpse in. On hearing these words, I replied, I beseech you, Father, as you are weak and talk of the probability of your dying, to let some of the brethren remain here to wait on you. Go home now, he said but return at the proper time. So I was unable to prevail upon him, notwithstanding the urgency of my entreaties, and at last I asked him when we should return to him. When God so wills it, said he, and when he himself shall direct you. We did as he commanded us, and having assembled the brethren immediately in the church, I had prayers offered up for him without intermission. For, said I, it seems to me, from some words which he spoke, that the day is approaching on which he will depart to the Lord. I was anxious about returning to him on account of his illness, but the weather prevented us for five days, and it was ordered so by God, as the event showed. For God Almighty, wishing to cleanse his servant from every stain of earthly weakness, and to show his adversaries how weak they were against the strength of his faith, kept him aloof from men, and put him to the proof by pains of the flesh, and still more violent encounters with the ancient enemy. At length there was a calm, and we went to the island and found him away from his cell in the house where we were accustomed to reside. 
the brethren who came with me had some occasion to go back to the neighboring shore, so that I was left alone on the island to minister to the Holy Father. I warmed some water and washed his feet, which had an ulcer from a long swelling, and from the quantity of blood that came from it, required to be attended to. I also warmed some wine which I had brought, and begged him to taste it, for I saw by his face that he was worn out with pain and want of food. When I had finished my service, he sat down quietly on the couch, and I sat down by his side. Seeing that he kept silence, I said, I see, my Lord Bishop, that you have suffered much from your complaint since we left you, and I marvel that you were so unwilling for us, when we departed, to send you some of our number to wait upon you. He replied, It was done by the providence and the will of God, that I might be left without any society or aid of man, and suffer somewhat of affliction. For when you were gone, my fatigue began to increase, so that I left my cell and came hither to meet anyone who might be on his way to see me, that he might not have the trouble of going further. Now from the moment of my coming until the present time, during a space of five days and five nights, I have sat here without moving. And how have you supported life, my Lord Bishop? asked I. Have you remained so long without taking food? Upon which, turning up the couch on which he was sitting, he showed me five onions concealed therein, saying, This has been my food for five days, for whenever my mouth became dry and parched with thirst, I cooled and refreshed myself by tasting these. Now one of the onions appeared to have been a little gnawed, but certainly not more than half of it was eaten. And, continued he, my enemies have never persecuted me so much during my whole stay in the island, as they have done during these last five days. I was not bold enough to ask what kinds of persecutions he had suffered. I only asked him to have someone to wait upon him. He consented, and kept some of us with him, amongst whom was the priest Bede the Elder, who had always been used to familiar attendance upon him. This man was consequently a most faithful witness to everything which he gave or received, whom Cuthbert wished to keep with him, to remind him, if he did not make proper compensation for any presents which he might receive, that before he died he might render to every one his own. He kept also another of the brethren with him, who had long suffered from a violent diarrhea, and could not be cured by the physicians. But, for his religious merit and prudent conduct, and grave demeanor, was thought worthy to hear the last words of the man of God, and to witness his departure to the Lord. Meanwhile, I returned home, and told the brethren that the Holy Father wished to be buried in his own island, and I added my opinion, that it would be more proper and becoming to obtain his consent for his body to be transported from the island, and buried in the monastery with the usual honors. My words pleased them, and we went to the bishop and asked him, saying, We have not dared, my lord bishop, to despise your injunction to be buried here, and yet we have thought proper to request of you permission to transport your body over to the monastery, and so have you amongst us. To which he replied, It was also my wish to repose here, where I have fought my humble battles for the Lord, whereto I wish to finish my course, and whence I hope to be lifted up by a righteous judge to obtain the crown of righteousness. But I think it better for you also that I should repose here on account of the fugitives and criminals 
who may flee to my corpse for refuge. And when they have thus obtained an asylum, inasmuch as I have enjoyed the fame, humble though I am, of being a servant of Christ, you may think it necessary to intercede for such before the secular rulers, and so you may have trouble on my account. When, however, we urged him with many entreaties, and asserted that such labor would be agreeable and easy to us, the man of God at length, after some deliberation, spoke thus, Since you wish to overcome my scruples, and to carry my body amongst you, it seems to me to be the best plan to bury it in the inmost parts of the church, that you may be able to visit my tomb yourselves, and to control the visits of all other persons. We thanked him on our bended knees for this permission, and for his advice, and returning home, did not cease to pay him frequent visits. Chapter 38 How During His Illness He Cured One of His Attendants of a Diarrhea His malady now began to grow upon him, and we thought that the time of his dissolution was at hand. He bade his attendants carry him to his cell and oratory. It was the third hour of the day. We therefore carried him thither, for he was too feeble to walk himself. When we reached the door, we asked him to let one of us go in with him, to wait upon him, for no one had ever entered therein but himself. He cast his eyes round on all, and fixing them on the sick brother above mentioned, said, Wallstad shall go in with me. Now Wallstad was the man's name. He went in accordingly, and stayed till the ninth hour, when he came out and said to me, The bishop wishes you to go in unto him, but I have a most wonderful thing to tell you. From the moment of my touching the bishop, when I supported him into the oratory, I have been entirely free from my old complaint. No doubt this was brought about by the effect of his heavenly piety, that, whereas in his time of health and strength he had healed many, he should now heal this man, when he was himself at the point of death, so that there might be a standing proof how strong the holy man was in spirit, though his body was at the lowest degree of weakness. In this cure he followed the example of the holy and reverend father and bishop Aurelius Augustine, who, when weighed down by the illness of which he died, and lying on his couch, was entreated by a man to lay his hand on a sick person who had been brought to him, so that he might be made well. To which Augustine replied, If I had such power, I should have first practiced it toward myself. The sick man answered, I have been commanded to come to you, for someone said to me in a dream, Go to Bishop Augustine, and let him place his hand upon you, and you shall be well. On hearing this, Augustine placed his hand upon him, gave him his blessing, and sent him home perfectly recovered. Chapter 39 His Last Instructions to the Brethren, and how, when he had received the sacraments, he yielded up his soul in prayer. I went into him about the ninth hour of the day, and found him lying in one corner of his oratory before the altar. I took my seat by his side, but he spoke very little, for the weight of his suffering prevented him from speaking much. But when I earnestly asked him what last discourse and valedictory salutation he would bequeath to the brethren, he began to make a few strong admonitions respecting peace and humility, and told me to beware of those persons who strove against these virtues and would not practice them. Have peace, said he, and divine charity ever amongst you. And when you are called upon to deliberate on your condition, 
see that you be unanimous in counsel. Let concord be mutual between you and other servants of Christ, and do not despise others who belong to the faith and come to you for hospitality, but admit them familiarly and kindly, and when you have entertained them, speed them on their journey, by no means esteeming yourselves better than the rest of those who partake of the same faith and mode of life. But have no communion with those who err from the unity of the ecumenical faith, either by keeping Pascha at an improper time or by their perverse life. And know and remember that if of two evils you are compelled to choose one, I would rather that you should take up my bones and leave these places to reside wherever God may send you than consent in any way to the wickedness of schismatics and so place a yoke upon your necks. Study diligently and carefully observe the common rules of the fathers and practice with zeal those institutes of the monastic life which it has pleased God to deliver to you through my ministry. For I know that although during my life some have despised me, yet after my death you will see what sort of man I was and that my doctrine was by no means worthy of contempt. These words and such as these, the man of God delivered to us at intervals, for, as we before said, the violence of his complaint had taken from him the power of speaking much at once. He then spent the rest of the day until the evening in the expectation of future happiness, to which he added this also, that he spent the night in watchfulness and prayer. When his hour of evening service was come, he received from me the blessed sacrament, and thus strengthened himself for his departure, which he now knew to be at hand, by partaking of the body and blood of Christ. And when he had lifted up his eyes to heaven, and stretched out his hands above him, his soul, intent upon heavenly praises, sped his way to the joys of the heavenly kingdom. Chapter 40 how according to the previous warning of the psalm which they sang at his death, the brethren of Lindisfarne were assailed from without, but by the help of God were protected. I immediately went out and told the brethren, who had passed the whole night in watchfulness and prayer, and chanced at that moment in the order of evening service to be singing the fifty-ninth psalm, which begins, O Lord, thou hast rejected us and destroyed us, thou hast been angry and hast pitied us. One of them instantly lighted two candles, and holding one in each hand, ascended a lofty spot to show to the brethren who were in the monastery of Lindisfarne that the holy man was dead, for they had agreed beforehand that such a signal should be made. The brother who had waited an hour on an opposite height in the island of Lindisfarne ran with speed to the monastery, where the brethren were assembled to perform the usual ceremonies of the evening service, and happened to be singing the above-named psalm when the messenger entered. This was a divine dispensation, as the event showed. For when the man of God was buried, the church was assailed by such a blast of temptation that several of the brethren left the place rather than be involved in such dangers. At the end of the year, Edbert was ordained bishop. He was a man of great virtues, learned in the Holy Scripture, and in particular given to works of charity. If I may use the words of Scripture, the Lord built up Jerusalem, that is, the vision of peace, and gathered together the dispersion of Israel. He healed those who were contrite in heart, and bound up their bruises, so that it was then given openly to understand the meaning of the hymn which was then for the first time sung, 
when the death of the sainted man was known, namely, that after his death his countrymen should be exposed to be repulsed and destroyed, but after a demonstration of his threatening anger should again be protected by the divine mercy. He who considers the sequel also of the above-named psalm will perceive that the event corresponded to its meaning. The body of the venerable father was placed on board a ship and carried to the island of Lindisfarne. It was there met by a large crowd of persons singing psalms and placed in the church of the holy apostle Peter in a stone coffin on the right-hand side of the altar. Chapter 41 How a boy who was possessed by a devil was cured by some dirt from the place where the water in which his corpse had been washed had been thrown. But even when the servant of Christ was dead and buried, the miracles which he worked whilst alive did not cease. For a certain boy in the territory of Lindisfarne was vexed so terribly by an evil spirit that he altogether lost his reason and shouted and cried aloud and tried to tear in pieces with his teeth his own limbs or whatever came his way. A priest from the monastery was sent to the sufferer, but though he had been accustomed to exercise and expel evil spirits, yet in this case he could not prevail. He therefore advised the lad's father to put him into a cart and drive him to the monastery, and to pray to God in his behalf before the relics of the holy saints which are there. The father did as he was advised, but the holy saints, to show how high a place Cuthbert occupied amongst them, refused to bestow on him the benefit desired. The mad boy, therefore, by howling, groaning, and gnashing his teeth, filled the eyes and ears of all who were there with horror, and no one could think of any remedy. When, behold, one of the priests, being taught in spirit that by the aid of the Holy Father Cuthbert he might be cured, went privately to the place where he knew the water had been thrown, in which his dead body had been washed, and taking from thence a small portion of the dirt, he mixed it with some water, and carrying it to the sufferer, poured it into his open mouth, from which he was uttering the most horrible and lamentable cries. He instantly held his tongue, closed his mouth, and shutting his eyes also, which before were bloodshot and staring hideously, he fell back into a profound sleep. In this state he passed the night, and in the morning, rising up from his slumber, free from his madness, he found himself also, by the merits and intercession of the blessed Cuthbert, free from the evil spirit by which he had been afflicted. It was a marvelous sight, and delectable to all good men, to see the son sound in mind accompany his father to the holy places, and give thanks for the aid of the saints. Although the day before, from the severity of his madness, he did not know who or where he was. When in the midst of the whole body of the brethren looking on and congratulating him, he had on his knees offered up before the relics of the martyrs praise to the Lord God and our Savior Jesus Christ. He returned to his home freed from the harassing of the foe, and confirmed in the faith which he before professed. They show to this day the pit into which that memorable water was thrown, of a square shape, surrounded with wood, and filled with little stones. It is near the church in which his body reposes, on the south side. From that time God permitted many other cures to be wrought by means of those same stones, and the dirt from the same place. Chapter 42 How His Body After Nine Years Was Found Undecayed Now divine providence, 
wishing to show to what glory this holy man was exalted after death, who even before death had been distinguished by so many signs and miracles, inspired the minds of the brethren with a wish to remove his bones, which they expected to find dry and free from his decayed flesh, and to put them in a small coffin on the same spot above the ground as objects of veneration to the people. This wish they communicated to the holy Bishop Edbert about the middle of Lent, and he ordered them to execute this on the 20th of March, which was the anniversary of the day of his burial. They accordingly did so, and opening the tomb, found his body entire, as if he were still alive, and his joints were still flexible, as if he were not dead, but sleeping. His clothes, also, were still undecayed, and seemed to retain their original freshness and color. When the brethren saw this, they were so astonished that they could scarcely speak or look on the miracle which lay before them, and they hardly knew what they were doing. As a proof of the uncorrupted state of the clothes, they took a portion of them from one of the extremities, for they did not dare to take any from the body itself, and hastened to tell what they found to the bishop, who was then walking alone on a spot remote from the monastery, and closed in by the flowing waves of the sea. Here it was his custom to pass Lent, and here he occupied himself forty days before the resurrection of our Lord in the utmost devotion, accompanied with abstinence, prayer, and tears. Here also his venerable predecessor, Cuthbert, before he went to Farn, as we have related, spent a portion of his spiritual warfare in the service of the Lord. The brethren brought with them, also, the piece of cloth in which the body of the saint had been wrapped. The bishop thanked them for the gift, and heard their report with eagerness, and with great earnestness kissed the cloth as if it were still in the saint's body. Fold up the body, said he, in new cloth instead of this, and place it in the chest which you have prepared. But I know of a certainty that the place which has been consecrated by the virtue of this heavenly miracle will not long remain empty, and happy is he to whom the Lord, who is the giver of true happiness, shall grant to rest therein. To these words he added what I have elsewhere expressed in verse, and said, What man the wondrous gifts of God shall tell, what ear the joys of paradise shall hear? Triumphant o'er the gates of death and hell, the just shall live amid the starry sphere. When the bishop had said much more to this effect, with many tears and much contrition, the brethren did as he ordered them, and having folded up the body in some new cloth, and placed it in a chest, laid it on the pavement of the sanctuary. Chapter 43 How the body of Bishop Edbert was laid in the grave of the man of God, and the coffin of that saint placed upon it. Meanwhile, God's chosen servant, Bishop Edbert, was seized by an illness which daily grew more and more violent, so that not long after, that is, on the 6th of May, he also departed to the Lord. It was a special mercy granted to his earnest prayers that he left this life by a gradual and not a sudden death. His body was placed in the grave of the blessed Father Cuthbert, and upon it they placed the coffin in which the body of that saint lay. And to this day miracles are there wrought if the faith of those who seek them admit of it. Even the clothes which had covered his blessed body, whether dead or alive, still possess a healing power. Chapter 44 How a Sick Man Was Cured at His Tomb by Prayer Lastly, 
there came from foreign parts a certain priest of the reverend and holy Willibrord Clement, bishop of the Friesens, who, whilst he was stopping at the monastery, fell into a severe illness, which lasted so long that his life was despaired of. Overcome with pain, he seemed unable either to live or die, until, thinking on a happy plan, he said to his attendant, Lead me, I beg of you, today after liturgy, for it was Sunday, to the body of the holy man of God to pray. I hope his intercession may save me from these torments, so that I may either return whole to this life or die, and go to that which is everlasting. His attendant did as he had asked him, and with much trouble led him, leaning on a staff, into the church. He there bent his knees at the tomb of the Holy Father, and with his head stooping towards the ground, prayed for his recovery. When suddenly he felt in all his limbs such an ascension of strength from the incorruptible body of the saint, that he rose up from prayer without trouble, and returned to the guest chamber without the assistance of the conductor who had led him, or the staff on which he had leaned. A few days afterwards, he proceeded in perfect health upon his intended journey. Chapter 45 How a Paralytic Was Healed by Means of His Shoes There was a young man in a monastery not far off, who had lost the use of all his limbs by a weakness which the Greeks call paralysis. His abbot, knowing that there were skillful physicians in the monastery of Lindisfarne, sent him thither with a request that, if possible, he might be healed. The brethren, at the request of their own abbot and bishop also, attended to him with the utmost care, and used all their skill in medicine, but without effect, for the malady increased daily, insomuch that, save his mouth, he could hardly move a single limb. Being thus given over by all worldly physicians, he had recourse to him who is in heaven, who, when he is sought out in truth, is kind towards all our iniquities, and heals all our sicknesses. The poor man begged of his attendant to bring him something which had come from the incorruptible body of the holy man, for he believed that by means thereof he might, with the blessing of God, return to health. The attendant, having first consulted the abbot, brought the shoes which the man of God had worn in the tomb, and having stripped the poor man's feet naked, put them upon him, for it was in his feet that the palsy had first attacked him. This he did at the beginning of the night, when bedtime was drawing near. A deep sleep immediately came over him, and as the stillness of night advanced, the man felt a palpitation in his feet alternately, so that the attendants, who were awake and looking on, perceived that the virtue of the holy man's relics was beginning to exert its power, and that the desired restoration of health would ascend upwards from the feet. As soon as the monastery bell struck the hour of midnight prayer, the invalid himself was awakened by the sound and sat up. He found his nerves and the joints of his limbs suddenly endowed with inward strength. His pains were gone, and perceiving that he was cured, he arose, and in a standing posture spent the whole time of the midnight song in thanksgiving to God. In the morning he went to the cathedral, and in the sight of all the congratulating brethren he went round all the sacred places, offering up prayers and the sacrifice of praise to his Savior. Thus it came to pass, that by a most wonderful transformation of things, he, who had been carried thither weak and borne upon a cart, returned home sound in his own strength, 
and with all his limbs strengthened and confirmed. Wherefore it is profitable to bear in mind that this change was the work of the right hand of the Most High, whose mighty miracles never cease from the beginning of the world to show themselves forth to mankind. Chapter 46 How the Hermit Felgeld was cured of a swelling in the face by means of the covering of the wall of the man of God's house. Nor do I think I ought to omit the heavenly miracle which the divine mercy showed by means of the ruins of the holy oratory, in which the venerable father went through his solitary warfare in the service of the Lord. Whether it was affected by the merits of the same blessed father Cuthbert, or his successor Ethelwald, a man equally devoted to the Lord, the searcher of the heart knows best. There is no reason why it may not be attributed to either of the two, in conjunction with the faith of the most holy father Felgeld, through whom and in whom the miraculous cure which I mention was effected. He was the third person who became tenant of the same place in its spiritual warfare, and, at present more than seventy years old, is awaiting the end of this life in expectation of the heavenly one. When, therefore, God's servant Cuthbert had been translated to the heavenly kingdom, and Ethelwald had commenced his occupation of the same island and monastery, after many years spent in conversation with the monks, he gradually aspired to the rank of anchoretic perfection. The walls of the aforesaid oratory, being composed of planks somewhat carelessly put together, had become loose and tottering by age, and as the planks separated from one another, an opening was afforded to the weather. The venerable man, whose aim was rather the splendor of the heavenly than of an earthly mansion, having taken hay or clay or whatever he could get, had filled up the crevices that he might not be disturbed from the earnestness of his prayer by the daily violence of the winds and storms. When Ethelwald entered and saw these contrivances, he begged the brethren who came thither to give him a calf's skin and fastened it with nails in the corner where himself and his predecessor used to kneel or stand when they prayed as a protection against the storm. Twelve years after, he also ascended to the joys of the heavenly kingdom, and Felgeld became the third inhabitant of the place. It then seemed good to the right reverend Edfrid, bishop of the church of Lindisfarne, to restore from its foundation the time-worn oratory. This being done, many devout persons begged of Christ's holy servant Felgeld to give them a small portion of the relics of God's servant Cuthbert, or of Ethelwald, his successor. He accordingly determined to cut up the above-named calf's skin to pieces, and give a portion to each. But he first experienced its influence in his own person, for his face was much deformed by a swelling and a red patch. The symptoms of this deformity had become manifest long before to the monks, whilst he was dwelling among them. But now that he was living alone, and bestowed less care on his person, whilst he practiced still greater strictness, and like a prisoner, rarely enjoyed the sun or air, the malady increased, and his face became one large red swelling. Fearing, therefore, lest he should be obliged to abandon the solitary life and return to the monastery, presuming in his faith, he trusted to heal himself by the aid of those holy men whose house he dwelt in, and whose holy life he sought to imitate. For he steeped a piece of the skin above mentioned in water, and washed his face therewith, whereupon the swelling was immediately healed, and the scar disappeared. 
This I was told, in the first instance, by a religious priest of the monastery of Jaro, who said that he well knew Felgeld's face to have been in the deformed and diseased state which I have described, and that he saw it and felt it with his hand through the window after it was cured. Felgeld, after wards, told me the same thing, confirming the report of the priest, and asserting that his face was ever afterwards free from the blemish during the many years that he passed in that place. This he ascribed to the agency of the Almighty Grace, which both in this world heals many, and in the world to come will heal all the maladies of our minds and bodies, and satisfying our desires after good things, crown us forever with his mercy and compassion. Amen. The End of the Life of St. Cuthbert Bishop of Lindisfarne, by the Venerable Bede. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, of the Holy Bishop and Wonderworker Cuthbert, and of the Venerable Bede, O Lord Jesus Christ our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen.